Uh, This is the word of the Lord. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Your word, uh, it speaks to every area of our lives with such wisdom, such clarity and such grace and truth. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit would, would be our teacher, that you take this passage from Mark and apply it into our lives and that you would lead us to Christ, that we would trust him, that we would obey him and, and follow him and, um, and know his presence in our lives more deeply. And so we pray for you to be our teacher now, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, our, uh, our topic today is burnout. I'm not sure how you define burnout. There's probably a definition somewhere for it. I think a burnout meaning you just, you're so stressed out. You're so stretched thin that you're like, I just, I can't do this anymore. I've, I've reached my limit. And uh, I'm, I'm sure many of you have struggled with burnout. I know I've struggled with burnout. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I am at my limit of burnout coming here. I mean, just even getting to church, I wasn't sure if I could do that because of my burnout. And, you know, my experience is that... Um, with burnout, there's, there's kind of these two modes that we can fluctuate between. On the one hand, uh, we are working so hard and we're so stressed that we get to a point in our lives where we're kind of drained of the joy of, of working, of serving the Lord, of serving in the church. And so we get so drained that we get to a point where we say, you know what, that's it, that's enough. No, 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 no to everything. I need a little me time now. And I think... Uh, these two responses have something in common, even though they're opposite ends of a kind of a pendulum swing. They're both ways that we trust in ourselves. We trust in ourselves to, to care for other people, and we trust in ourselves to care for ourselves. 
And in this passage that, that I just read about Jesus' miraculous feeding of the 5,000, it occurs right when Jesus' disciples returned from a mission that they were on. You see that in verse 30, where it says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So it was in the midst of exhaustion and burnout that Jesus' disciples experienced the Lord's provision and power. And so today I want to just point out a few insights from this passage about burnout. And you might hope that I have the key, the secret to end the burnout in your life. I don't. But I think I have some, there's insights to understand it and to know God's purposes in the, the stress of life. And so uh, four things I want to point out from this passage this is what they are. Is that first, the Christian life is busy and tiring. That second, rest is a good thing. That third, we obey Jesus and not the demands of people. And fourth, Jesus has far more resources than we do. Four important truths for understanding burnout. That the Christian life is busy and tiring. Rest is a good thing. We obey Jesus and not the demands of people. And fourth, that Jesus has far more resources than we do. And so this may not cure your burnout, but I think these are biblical principles that are helpful for us. So four insights for us this morning. And the first is this. That the Christian life is busy and tiring. The Christian life is busy and tiring. And you see there in verse 31 how it says, And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And so this passage begins with the disciples. That, you know, they've been exhaustingly busy uh, caring for people. And uh, that's really setting the... Setting for this passage is that discipleship to Jesus is busy and tiring. And I'll tell you, if you are committed to Christ and if you are interested in people, you're going to find that there are people everywhere that are hurting and have needs. All over the place. Actually, there's another place where Jesus says he looked out at the crowds and he said the crowds, it was like the, the, the harvest is white. You know, the fields are white. Uh, ready for the harvest, but there are, the laborers are few. There's few people that are willing to go to the masses of people who have needs and to love them and to listen to them and to talk to them. And when you do, you're going to find yourself, there's all kinds of people that are, are demanding of, of us. And many Christians will find in their life that, if you, that you are giving yourself to people all the time. You know, if you're a parent, of course, you know you're giving to your children, you're pouring out for your children all the time. Even if you're married, you have a spouse there's, you're pouring out for your spouse. If you're a good listener, there are just people all over that are just wanting someone to tell what they're facing in their life. And if you listen, you'll find people will tell you so much about their life. If you're a good listener, you're going to be listening all the time. If you are willing to serve, you know, in the church, there's all kinds of needs for serve. You're going to be serving all the time. And if you do serve, you're going to have you're going to get asked more because you, oh, they all, they, they're willing to serve, so we're going to ask them even more. You're going to find that it's demanding. The Apostle Paul described his ministry as it was like he was being poured out as a drink offering. It's like I'm being emptied. And some of you, you feel that way. That's what it feels like is I'm being emptied. And therefore, we should know that the Christian life is busy and tiring. Now, we live in a culture that has an expectation that life should be comfort, you know, an expectation of comfort. And I, I think we've been shaped deeply by the, the Declaration of Independence, and we think that the Declaration, Declaration of Independence means 
that our life is about our individual pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness for me. And it's not about me giving myself away for my community or for the people in my life. It's about me. And because our culture is so infatuated with me, you uh, will hear all kinds of temptations that if you're busy and tired, our culture will say something is wrong. If you're pouring out for everyone, you shouldn't be pouring out for everyone. That's when you shouldn't be experiencing life like that. We should expect our life to be comfortable. You will not find that in the life of Jesus. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, you following Jesus, it's going to be the, it's not true for his disciples in the gospels and it's not going to be true for us either. I don't think there's any way we can read the New Testament and conclude that the Christian uh, and not conclude that the Christian life is busy and tiring. We are laboring for the kingdom of God in this life and our rest is coming in the future. Now if you don't like that, you, we have to squarely face the question what's the other option? If you're not going to pour out your life for people, what are you going to do with your life? Not pour out your life for people? And I'll tell you, if you don't pour out your life for people, you're not going to find a happy and blessed life. And this is kind of the paradox of the Christian life, is you either pour out your life, which you think is going to mean I'm going to be empty at the end of it, but then God fills you back up. You pour out and God fills you back up. Or you say, I'm not going to pour myself out. And the Bible says at the end of your life, you will find that you are empty. So you either pour yourself out and be filled, or you not pour yourself out and you end up being empty. Now, some of you will hear that and ask, well, isn't that a recipe for burnout? I thought this was going to be a sermon about avoiding burnout. And uh, you're saying that I should be busy and tired. Well, you know, in this passage, there are these 5,000 hungry uh, people that are coming to Jesus and the disciples. And uh, at the end of verse 31, you, you, you notice about the disciples, it says that they had no leisure even to eat. And so the disciples themselves are hungry. And so the disciples have the same needs of the people that they are going to be serving. And we often find ourselves in that situation. We say, wow, there's so many people in the world that are anxious and they're lonely and they, they need love and uh, they feel weak. And you say, well, I feel lonely and feel weak and feel anxious and need love. I need all the same things that the other people need. And Jesus recognizes this. He has compassion for them. He has compassion for us. And just as Jesus is going to care for the people that he brings into our lives, he's going to care for us as well. And so that leads to our second point. So the first piece of important information that we just have to know about life and know about burnout is that the Christian life is busy and tiring because we're called to love our neighbors. And so if you live a life of loving your neighbor, you're going to be pouring yourself out all the time. And that's not a problem. That's not wrong. That's not something that needs to be fixed. That's how life is supposed to be. That's what it means to follow Christ. But the Bible recognizes our limitations and weakness. And so our second point is that rest is good. So the Christian life is busy and tiring, but also rest is a good thing. And you see those words from Jesus there in verse 31 where it says, And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. I love that Jesus says those words. Come and rest a while. And actually, this is a pattern in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus doesn't just do this once. He regularly does this with his disciples. He says, we need to pull away and have a time of rest for you to be with me. And, um, and so rest is good. And so when we refuse to pour ourselves out, we're not trusting God. But also, if we don't rest, 
we're not trusting God. Rest requires trust for God. And I love that the Bible says that even God himself rests. You know, when God created the world, uh, it says it was six days he made everything in the world. And then on the seventh day, God rested. And you're always like, what is, why does God need to rest? I mean, it's not like he's tired. God doesn't get tired. What's he doing when he's resting on the seventh day? Well, he's enjoying his creation. You know, he says at the end of the creation, it was very good, and now he's enjoying it. And that's what we're supposed to do, is enjoy things as well. It's very hard to love people without being able to enjoy things. If you don't enjoy things, then it's going to be hard to share that joy with others. And so how can you give a sense of rest to other people without having it yourself? And, you know, I would say I, don't, I prefer to not think of rest as me time. Because it's really not what rest is. You know, rest is, is usually finding something else to, like, give our attention to. You know, here in this passage, the disciples are not having me time. They're going away with Jesus to spend time with him and to spend time with each other. So it's not just me time. It's just it's different than the work that they're doing. And actually, just over, uh, I had the week after Christmas off. And uh, one of my family, every year, we make a, a family movie uh, during that week. And so I think it was on the 29th. I was editing the movie from 8 a.m. in the morning to 3 a.m. the next morning. It was 19 hours of editing. I was sitting on the couch with my monitor just zoning out, and hours are going by. And you might say, that doesn't sound like vacation, like editing a movie. But it's a different kind of work, and I don't ever get to do that kind of thing. And so it's actually life-giving. Some of you have things where it's like, you know, it's just doing something different that gives me a sense of, you know, revitalization and creativity that restores me. And I'll tell you why this is important. You know, you think of like being a pastor. My job is to help people love the Bible. I can't help people love the Bible unless I've actually taken pleasure in the Bible in my own personal life, you know. If, If you don't laugh, how do you invite people into your laughter? If there's, you know, or if there's not a peace what, how do you have a peaceful presence to invite other people into? So it's actually a crucial part of pouring out and loving is the rest because that's what we want to bring people into is the rest of Christ. And, uh, and so rest is a good thing. It's an essential component to our service to the Lord. And there's something in us that resists rest. Actually, someone was telling me about a guy, I think he's an author, who's invented a thing called the 21-day work week. And basically what he says is you can do three work days every day. He says work day number one is from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Work day number two is from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. And work day number three is from 5 p.m. to 11 a.m. I just, now I'm a person, I like productivity and routine and stuff like that. But three days of work and one day, 21 days of work, and why would you want that? Like 21 days, I know you might accomplish a lot. God is not like that. He's not all about efficiency. You know, God will make a cherry tree, and you know how many of the cherries turn into another tree? Like hardly any of them. He wastes a lot of cherries. And he's not like, and you know, how long does it take for God to like do his work of redemption in history? Thousands of years. He's very methodical. He's not in a rush. It's not all about efficiency. And so I think the Bible really rejects this idea of like, I'm going to put three work days into one day. No, this is what Psalm 127 says. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. Eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I 
love that phrase from the Lord. He gives to his beloved sleep. My wife and I have a saying that we say almost every day. I love bed. I love bed. You know, it's, and especially when it's dark in the winter, you know, and it's like 6 o'clock and it feels like it's 9 o'clock. It's like, I love bed. Because that's what Psalm 127 says. He very gives to his beloved sleep. So rest is a good thing. So here are these two first two points that go together. The Christian life is busy and tiring and rest is a good thing. But as this passage shows, it will be a common experience that our rest is interrupted. And Jesus, you know, had planned this little retreat for the disciples. We're going to go away. We're going to get rested. And then we see in verse 33, it says, Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When they went ashore, he saw a great crowd. So, so much for the retreat. Here's a big, hungry, needy crowd that just showed up. And Jesus does not blow up and say, you know, can't you see I'm trying to get a little me time? He doesn't say that. Um, but I do think what Jesus does in this passage we can learn from, and this is our third point, is that we obey Jesus and not the demands of people. I think a key guard for burnout is that we obey Jesus and not the demands of other people. And this is a subtle difference, but it's extremely important that our obedience is to Christ, and Christ will often call us to serve people who are in need. And so we will be serving people in need, but it's because of obedience to him. But people's needs will constantly be making demands of us, and the needs are not our master. And so this is a paradox that Jesus is our master and not the needs of others. And so let me just point out both sides of this truth. So first, we must obey Christ. And you see that there, verse 35, where it says, and when it, uh, when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, by the way, just a little side note, I think we get a little interesting glimpse into Jesus' leadership of the disciples here. You know, what was the dynamic between Jesus and the disciples? Here they come to him and say, Jesus, we got a problem. Everyone's hungry. We better send them out. And I think that means they clearly had an open, the dynamic was an open communication. It's not like they cowered in fear that they couldn't talk to Jesus about their ideas of what needed to happen. They come to him with their ideas, but it goes on in verse 37 and it says, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. He command, this command, at the center of this passage is a command from the Lord to feed people even when we are tired. And uh, maybe this is repeating point one, but we live in obedience to the commands of Jesus. And so that means, first we need to know what the scriptures say of what Jesus has commanded us. And that's very helpful to say, well, Jesus commanded me to do it, I do it. And we need to pray and say, Jesus, what are you commanding me to do? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow the leading of your, your word and your spirit. And I think this is particularly true with feeding people. You know, this is a passage about feeding people. First, uh, First Peter 4 says, show hospitality without grumbling. It knows we don't want bringing people into our space, having to serve and feed people. We've got our work. We've got all kinds of stuff that's stressing us out. And we, we don't need more people coming into our space. And the Bible, one of the main things Jesus commands us to do is feed people. And that's what he does to his disciples here. So we obey Christ first. But there's a second side, is that we obey Christ, not the demands of people. And one thing about this story is that commentators have noted that, you know, this is 
likely not just a random group of 5,000 people who showed up in Galilee. It's the region of Galilee because in the first century, Galilee was a politically volatile uh, region. And uh, these 5,000 were likely zealots. There are uh, men who wanted to form an army and they wanted Jesus to be their leader. And you see that there in verse 34 when it says, when, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now in our day, when we hear of a shepherd, we usually think of a pastor as like a shepherd. But, uh, but in the Old Testament, the shepherds were the kings or the generals. It has a military connotation to it. And the final verse makes that clear that that's what's happening here. In verse 44, you notice what it says. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. There's no women and children here. This is a group of men who've gathered. It's likely an army. And why are they way out in a desolate place? They've gone to a secret place to form a militia. And they want to have an uprising, a rebellion against Rome. And the Messiah is here. And they want him to be their leader. And so Jesus is serving these men in need. He has compassion on them. But he's not following their demands of him. They have expectations that they demand of him. In fact, he's teaching them and he's redirecting their zeal and say, you guys are misguided. This is the way that we need to go. And in fact, uh, even if these men are an army, you know, this army is coming together and Jesus says, we're going to have a picnic. Okay, there's grass. Everyone get in your groups. We're going to have a picnic. And it's not only that it was a picnic, but it was basically a worship service. Um, you look at the verbs there in verse 41, how it says, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. These are the exact same verbs that are used later in the gospel to talk about the Lord's Supper. He is starting a worship service. He's transforming the army into a worshiping body that w with him at the center of the worship service. And so Jesus is basically saying to the crowd, you don't know what you need. You think you need a militia, but what you need is me to transform you. You need me to feed you and to change you and to teach you. And I think one of the things that's a source of burnout in our lives is when we're not differentiated from the demands of the people around us. It's very easy. Like the human flesh, our own flesh, and the flesh of others just wants to swallow people up with this is what I need. This is what I want. It's crying out at us. And we get swallowed up. And so the prevention from burnout is to stay differentiated and say my obedience is to Christ. Now Christ calls me to serve people, but I do it in obedience to him, not to other people's flesh. And, uh, and you know, people talk a lot about boundaries and I think there are boundaries that can be used as a way to be selfish, but there's another way to think of boundaries as saying, I obey Christ and not the demands of the people around me. And, you know, some of you have maybe experienced this in your family. This, this often happens in family systems where the most needy kind of dysfunctional person in the family is making the demands of everyone else. And all the decisions of the family are serving the needy person. And health only comes to the family when the healthy people in the family refuse to follow those demands and say, the family's not going to follow the demands of the needy person. We're going to follow Christ, and we're going to obey what Christ tells us to do, and that's how we're going to live as a family. Now, one of the benefits of obeying Christ instead of the demands of others is that Jesus always helps us in whatever he demands of us. And so that is our final point. 
So, so far what we've seen is that the Christian life is busy and tiring. We need to embrace that. But rest is a good thing. We need it in order to love and care for other people well. And third, we obey Jesus and not the demands of people. But lastly, Jesus has far more resources than we do. This important piece of burnout is that Jesus is the one with the resources. It's not us. Jesus provides for what we need when we obey and serve him. He has everything that we need. And I want to just list off a few ways that we see that in this passage, okay? So first, we see that Jesus has compassion on people, right? You see that verse 34. It says, when he, saw, when he went ashore, he saw a crowd, and he had compassion on them. And over and over again in the Gospels, this is repeated, that Jesus sees people and has compassion on them. And, uh, and I know that, I, you know, I can struggle with this, um, thinking that I'm the person that needs to love people who are in need and forgetting that Jesus is actually the one who sees them and knows that he knows them far better than I do. He knows what they need far better than I do. He can love them and provide for them far better than I can. That means actually when there is someone in need in our lives, the first thing we need to do is pray for them and really believe Jesus can care for them. He has compassion. Jesus loves that person far more deeply than I do. And uh, Edwin Friedman was a, a psychologist in the last century. He was actually a rabbi who, uh, he died in the 90s. And um, I, I've read a couple of his books. And one of the things that he mentions is that, that part of emotional maturity for us is not only developing a pain tolerance for ourselves. You know, that's one thing. I think in the Christian life, you have to have a pain tolerance that you can endure pain for a long time. But it's also developing a pain tolerance for other people. Because oftentimes God is doing something in someone else's life and we don't know what that is and they're struggling and we want to rush in and fix it and comfort it and take away the pain. But Jesus sees and knows them and loves them and has compassion for them far more than we do and we might need to let God's purposes unfold for them. This is again being differentiated from the demands of their needs on us. Knowing Jesus' compassion for people is a guard for our own burnout, okay? So first, Jesus has compassion on people. Second, Jesus teaches people. You notice in the end of verse 34, and he began to teach them many things. And this is an important thing about Jesus. Jesus does not just respond to people's felt needs, that this, they're hungry and they want to be fed. He, uh, people need teaching alongside their care. And, you know, actually in the Gospel of John, the feeding of the 5,000 story is told there, except right after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus has a teaching where he says, I am the bread of life. And what people often need is not just the physical needs that their flesh is saying is their demand. The deeper the need they have is Christ, who is the spiritual bread who transforms them. They need life transformation. So Jesus has compassion on people. Jesus teaches people. Third thing that I think is interesting in this passage is that Jesus organizes people. So Jesus tells the disciples to feed this group of 5,000 with a command, and he helps organize the meal. You see that there in verse 39. It says, Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. This is a very orderly meal that's happening here. And Jesus understands that caring for people is an organizational and administrative task. Things need to be ordin and ordinarily. I'll tell you, in churches, 
A lot of the reason that people get burned out in churches is because of they're disorderly. And I know that. You know, I know we're somewhere between 0 and 100% effective <laughs> being orderly. But I know that that's the case. You know, when roles aren't clearly defined and they're like, hey, this is your job and people's service just gets enveloped and there's no support and there's no structure, people get burned out. And what we see in this passage is Jesus is bringing orderly order to a crowd of people who need support. And, uh, and so when someone says, I don't believe in organized religion, I'd say that's a recipe for burnout. You need organized religion. Absolutely, people need order in their life. And uh, that's a huge part of what we're doing in the church is organizing the gifts of a congregation to effectively obey Christ and to serve people. Okay, so Jesus has compassion on people, Jesus teaches people, Jesus is organizing people, but the fourth thing we see is that Jesus multiplies our resources. And of course, that's the heart of this story. Jesus multiplying the few resources that the disciples had in, in verse 38, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they, uh, and when they had found out, they said five and two fish. And so Jesus puts his disciples in a situation where they don't have enough resources to do the thing that he commanded them. It's an amazing thing. Jesus will often do that in our lives. He will put us in a situation where we do not have enough resources to do the thing that he commanded. And why would he do that? So at the end of the day, when it happens, everyone will know this wasn't about us. We didn't do this. This story is about displaying Jesus' glory. And no one's going to read this story and say, wow, how powerful are the disciples. No one says that. Everyone says, wow, how powerful is Jesus. And that's what our uh, mission is. And it means that God has infinite resources. You know, if we're like, we don't have enough people. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough time. God has all the money. He has all the people. And he might not give us all those resources right away. Why would he not give us all the resources right away? Might be that he wants us to trust him. It might mean that he wants to crush our pride. And if we had a lot of resources, he knows that we would become proud. He's like, I'm going to keep you humble. It might be that he's saying, if you're faithful with a little, I will trust you with more. And you have to be faithful with little resources before you can be trusted with more resources. There are a lot of reasons but ultimately, we don't trust in our resources. We trust in the one who gives and multiplies our resources for his own glory. And so guarding against burnout is a question of the heart. It's a willingness to be busy and tired because that's what following Christ is like. But it's also a willingness to rest because the Bible says rest is good. It is the clarity to obey Jesus only and not uh, the demands that other people place on us, letting them become our master. But above all, we obey, uh, we obey Jesus, trusting the, in the abundance of his resources, his compassion, his teaching, his organization, and ultimately his miraculous multiplying of our few loaves and fish. And our hope here at Christ Church is that, that in the midst of our weakness and our limited resources, the glory of Christ would be displayed. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I uh, pray for my friends here and 
imagine that some sitting here in this room are uh, struggling with burnout. Um, they feel thin. And uh, Lord, we uh, are these 5,000 hungry people in, in a desolate place. We need you to feed us. And Lord, not just with physical uh, sustenance, with earthly bread. We need you to feed us with yourself, that we might know you and your love, that you would be our perseverance, you would be our strength, um, that your life would be in our minds and hearts and bodies. And so, Lord, we look to you and we trust you. We are hungry for you. And we pray this in Christ's name.
hundreds and fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven.